every Monday to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning. This is Peter Lewis welcoming you to my podcast, Money Talk, for Monday, the 17th of July. And thank you for making this podcast one of the most listened to financial podcasts in Hong Kong and on and in Singapore on Apple Podcasts. As well as finding us on Apple, we're also on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Substack. Just search for Peter Lewis's Money Talk. This pod, this podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, China's new home prices fell in June for the first time this year, increasing pressure on policymakers for more stimulus. Home prices had shown signs of stabilisation in the first five months of 2023, but new home prices in 70 cities fell 0.1% last month from May. Prices were unchanged from a year earlier, retreating from a 0.1% increase in May. 31 of the 70 cities recorded month-on-month rises in new home prices. That's down from 46 in May. The People's Bank of China hinted Friday at more policy support for the economy, while also urging patience for the recovery to take hold. Deputy Governor Liu Guocheng told reporters in Beijing on Friday, we still have ample policy room to deal with unexpected challenges and changes. We need to be patient and confident in the economy's continued and steady growth. Mr Liu said China will implement targeted and forceful monetary policy. However, he denied that the country's economy is at risk of deflation after official data last week revealed flat consumer prices and falling exports. Reuters reported Friday that China's financial regulators have invited some of the world's biggest investors to a rare symposium this week, seeking to encourage foreigners to keep investing in the world's second largest economy. The meeting in Beijing, which will take place on Friday, will focus on the current conditions for foreign investment firms in China and the main challenges facing them, according to Reuters, and some of the firms are flying senior executives to China for the talks. Singapore's economy avoided a technical recession in the second quarter, growing 0.7% year-on-year and 0.3% quarter-on-quarter. In the first quarter, Singapore's economy contracted by 0.4% Q-on-Q. Growth was boosted by an acceleration in the services sector to 3% from 1.8% in the first quarter. On today's programme, I'm joined by Alex Wong, Director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management, and Christopher Lee, partner at Farron Augustine and Alexander Investments. And providing a view from mainland China will be Brock Silvers, the CIO at Kyan Capital. On Wall Street's last week, signs of cooling inflation boosted stocks across the board, with the rally broadening from the seven largest tech companies in the US, which have been responsible for virtually all of the stock market's 2023 gains. More than 140 stocks in the S&P 500 have hit fresh 52-week highs since the end of May. The Dow Industrials and the Nasdaq recorded their best weeks since March, rising 2.3% and 3.3% respectively. The S&P 500 hovered near its highest close since April 2022, gaining 2.4% over the week. U.S. Treasuries paired their weekly rally Friday as strong economic data reinforced the view that it may be too early for the Fed to claim victory over inflation. Data released Friday showed consumer sentiment soared to an almost two-year high, while short-term price expectations rose. Bonds reacted immediately with the front end of the U.S. curve bearing the brunt of the selling. The two-year U.S. yield 
climbed 14 basis points to 4.77%, leaving it 18 basis points lower over the five sessions. The 10-year yield rose 6 basis points to 3.83%, leaving it 24 basis points lower on the week. The dollar steadied on Friday, but had its worst week in eight months, as traders reined in their bets on further interest rate rises from the Fed. The US uh, dollar index fell 2.3% over the past five sessions. That's its worst run since November. The yen six-day winning streak based on expectations that the Bank of Japan will soon end its yield curve control policy, came to an end Friday. The yen fell half a percent to 138 and three quarters against the dollar, but for the week was up 2.4 percent. The Chinese yuan extended gains into a seventh day, strengthening 0.1 percent to 7.14 renminbi in Shanghai and 7.15 and three quarters in offshore markets. The yuan is up 1.5% so far this month. And Hong Kong stocks saw their best week in six months as investors bet on fiscal stimulus after data showed the economic rebound faltering. The Hang Seng Index gained 63 points or a third of a percent to 19.414 at the close of Friday trading, bringing the rally last week to 5.7%. That's the most since early January. Chinese tech stocks put in their best weekly performance since December, as Beijing signalled the end of the regulatory crackdown and more support for its private sector. The Hang Seng Tech Index, which tracks 30 of the Chinese tech firms listed in Hong Kong, jumped 8.4% last week. However, the tech index is 60% below its high reached in February 2021. And this morning, there's no trading in Hong Kong, while the storm signal number 8 remains in force, and markets in Japan are closed for a public holiday. You can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter, which you'll find at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Welcome our Monday morning guests. We have with us Alex Wong, Director at Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management. Morning to you, Alex. Hey, morning, Peter. And also with us Christopher Lee, who is Senior Partner at Farron Augustine and Alexander Investments. Welcome, Chris. Hi. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Alex. Hi. Now, we had some um, some data out on Friday on the state of the housing market uh, in China. New home prices fell in June for the first time this year, and that's increasing pressure on policymakers for more stimulus as the economic recovery falters. Home prices had shown signs of stabilisation in the first five months of 2023, but new home prices in 70 cities fell 0.1% last month from May when they climbed 0.1%. Prices were unchanged from a year earlier, retreating from a 0.1% increase in May. 31 of the 70 cities monitored by MBS recorded month-on-month rises in new home prices, which is down from 46 uh, in May. And prices declined over 0.4% in the secondary market, according to the data. Um, Alex, perhaps you can kick off with your thoughts on, on this. I mean, obviously, the housing market, a key part um, of China's economy. We heard some uh, new measures to try and stabilise it last week. But it seems to still be on the rocks, doesn't it, this particular sector? Yeah, I think this particular sector is very hard to rebound because um, all people actually knew that they could delay their buying uh, decisions because um, developers are in trouble and, and then the home prices actually would not go much higher. So I think uh, buyers would be cautious and, and that, that could be very hard to, to turn around. So um, very likely we would continue to see weakness in this sector. 
And actually, I think the statistics actually are muted because uh, many developers actually give many gifts away uh, when uh, when they uh, sell their fats. So I think uh, uh, this is a, a little bit distorted figures. The actual figures actually should be even worse. So you think that actually that we may see next month some even worse data on on the, the housing market, even though um, the PBOC has come out with measures to try and stabilize it, extending basically all the measures that they introduced in November for another year. I think uh, what they can do is to make it easier for those um, marginal home buyers, but uh, that is uh, uh, the, the the best thing they can do, and mm. and they could not attract much interest from investors and and those uh, people who are who have already owned some properties because I think uh, they all don't know that property prices are very difficult to go up, and 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 I think uh, the demand in second tier cities actually are weak. Mm. Chris, what what are your thoughts on the uh, on the sector? Obviously, key to the Chinese economy, isn't it? Yeah. So I actually think that this is a healthy adjustment. I mean, just building on the point that uh, Alex made earlier, that uh, they are helping the uh, marginal home buyers, right? So we are still having this uh, affordability issue. I think in mainland China, just like in Hong Kong, that many young urban professionals are not able to buy a decent home to live. And we see that all across uh, the top tier cities as well. So, I mean, in terms of uh, just discouraging the investors from coming in and speculating the uh, uh, property market, uh, you know, that's not something that the uh, the uh, policy is trying to encourage, right? So mm-hmm. the policy there is really trying to help uh, the average person on the street to get a home if they have a decent job. And again, you know, building on that marginal home buyer argument uh, that Alex made earlier that I think this is actually not bad for the long term because it really addresses the uh, the affordability issue, and we have to help the uh, the average person uh, to get a decent home, and not helping the uh, investors in speculating. Do you think um, Chinese people have basically lost trust and confidence now in the property sector because they used to regard it as a safe asset, didn't they? I mean, you, they just were not used to seeing the prices of their homes go down, but were not even used to seeing them not go up, let alone actually go down. Has this really changed now um, the, the, the impact you know, in people's minds of investing in the property sector and there's now really a crisis of confidence? Right. So I take the half full versus half empty uh, approach here, Peter. So while there is weakness in the property sector, but again, the economy should not be just so relying on just one particular sector. There are other sectors that are still very, um, I think, promising. I mean, the, uh, the, the tech sector, as you mentioned earlier, is also improving. And then uh, we're seeing also a bit more domestic uh, consumption. I was just in uh, Shenzhen and also... Uh, Guangdong over the weekend, and again, I was very impressed by just how efficient and user-friendly all the apps that I have on my mm. mobile phone. You can do everything from ordering a car and also uh, booking a ferry ticket and paying for your meals and uh, you know just uh, settling your hotel charges. Everything just on your mobile phone via one or two apps. So there's a lot of other good things happening in the Chinese domestic economy. And I'm a big fan of uh, the domestic consumption uh, argument that uh, many people have made over the last uh, few months. 
So you're sounding quite optimistic. You're you're sort of almost in line with what uh, the deputy governor of the PBOC said uh, last week, mm-hmm. uh, Lugo Chang. He was basically saying, look, we just need to be patient and confident and, and the economy will continue to steadily grow. You, 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 you agree with that by the sounds of what you're saying? I agree with that. Yes, uh, it's, a, it's a long game here. I mean, there's a, a bit of a rocky road ahead of us, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, youth unemployment rate is still pretty high. And it's just a uh, mismatch of like uh, the educational system and the skills that are needed, right, in the economy. But uh, over the long term, I mean, there's going to be more domestic consumption-focused development, and not so much of just uh, export-driven, and not so much uh, relying on just one particular sector of property. Mm. Alex, are you as confident in the in the economy going forward? We're obviously going to get a lot of data out later this morning, which we'll talk about in a moment in a bit more detail. But are you sort of in line also with what Chris is saying and what uh, the deputy governor of the PBOC is saying? No, actually, I'm uh, less optimistic. I think uh, it's quite difficult to for the Chinese economy to, to get a sustainable rebound because, uh, first of all, the export sector is very weak. And the domestic consumption actually is a weaker than expected. So I think that people need to feel safe in their employment uh, to, to, in order to spend more. And, and also, I think that they, they need a stabilization in the property market. So I think they need to feel good. But uh, in the meantime, uh, it is uh, a bit, um, bit, uh, bit, bit difficult for them to feel good uh, right now because uh, the two dominant sectors, properties and exports, actually are quite weak. And, and we probably are seeing um, a, a quite high youth and uh, unemployment to, to, to sustain because uh, probably many young people are prefer to get, get, uh, get to do the KOL uh, instead of funding a job. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and how do you deal with then the property sector? You say that, you know, this is weak. I mean, the, the, in effect, the funding model for these developers is, is bust, isn't it? And, and the government hasn't come up with anything to replace that old funding model. And eventually... Um, you know, these developers, they're just not going to have anything left to sell and they won't have any revenues either to pay off all these debts. So how how do they get out of this? How does the government get them out of it? I think it will take a very long time for the for the for the sector to 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 to, to get back. So uh, right now, probably at best, you can get stabilization in prices and mm. you could not get uh, much improved demand. And and it is very difficult to consolidate as well because of many projects actually probably have negative equity uh, after deducting the, 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 project, uh, um, the, the project finance part. So uh, it's very difficult to, for them to, 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 to get, get, get bought. So um, I think that this is a, a very difficult uh, situation to, 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 to rebound. So probably we would like to, we would continue to see the, the, the dojang to continue. Mm, but the, the Chinese government is pushing, putting pressure, isn't it, on the property developers to complete these unfinished uh, properties, these unfinished homes, and, and get them off to, uh, to the purchasers. Yeah, because when, when the, the developers get cash flow problem, it's quite difficult. That's so probably they, they would push banks uh, to, to do the finance job. So the, the risk actually is transferred to banks, and you can see actually banking stocks uh, get, a, get a very bad um, performance uh, over the last few weeks. Mm, and um, yeah. the the government. So uh, I, I don't, 
Yeah, I don't disagree with uh, what uh, Alex said earlier, but I think one silver lining there again is, uh, you know, while the uh, youth unemployment rate is high, almost hitting 20%, but I think we've also seen many young people pursuing non-traditional careers, such as the uh, the KOL that you mentioned, key opinion leaders. I mean, these are just uh, new sectors and also new areas for for further growth. Um, it's just like what we've seen in Hong Kong. I mean, a lot of traditional jobs are disappearing, like the property sector or just the traditional insurance and traditional sort of like um, uh, careers. But there are new jobs that are going to be created and there are going to be new roles that we don't even know existed yet. So I, I remain positive that uh, the entrepreneurial spirit uh, that we've seen in Hong Kong uh, will also be, um, I think, uh, repeated in uh, different parts of China. Just like we now have a few virtual banks and we have Equimon, some of these uh, new uh, local startups like the um, GoGoVan and also Lala Move, these companies, they have created a lot of jobs in the marketplace. What do you say to Alex's point, though, about the international environment, which is obviously uh, not good, is it, for, for China's uh, exports? Exports sank 7.5% and imports are down 4.5% um, in May. So um, China can't really rely on external sources to bolster growth, can it? Yeah, well, yeah, because yeah, the, so the, 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 the economy in, the, in other parts of the world has slowed down. So, uh, first of all, the demand the aggregate demand actually is slower. And then also uh, China is facing problems that uh, the, 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 the buyers actually are sourcing elsewhere as well. So I think uh, this is a particularly bad uh, for China uh, manufacturing sector. Chris, what, what do yeah, you think? I would point to what you mentioned earlier, uh, Peter, that uh, China is inviting uh, investors to this meeting uh, happening this week, uh, Friday in Beijing. And last month, there was also the Greenwich, uh, I think, Economic uh, Forum here in Hong Kong. And so, in fact, I mean, this is not the first time that we're seeing these uh, major economic and also meetings. I mean, I think uh, uh, the the vice chairman of uh, uh, the CSRC is uh, going to be speaking to a lot of uh, investors this week, uh, Mr. Fang Xinghai, right? So he's He's um, been very, I think, active in the international circle previously, also uh, spoke, at, uh, spoke at the World Economic Forum. He had a career working at the World Bank and also uh, previously, I think, uh, held senior positions at Galaxy Securities. He has a Stanford PhD and he's been, I think, speaking to many foreign investors uh, I'm on the board of a U.S. mutual fund investing in Asian stocks and uh, our chief uh, equity analysts have met with him uh, mm-hmm. recently back in uh, May in April in Beijing. And many, many years ago when I was a young banker at uh, uh, Merrill Lynch, I mean, he came over to San Francisco. So I think there's a lot of these uh, good communications happening between uh, foreign investors and also the other uh, regulators in China. So we're definitely on a good path. I mean, constructive uh, engagement is uh, still well and alive, I think. I mean, it's an unusual meeting, isn't it? It's not the sort of meeting that they normally have. But if if you were there, um, they want to hear from foreign investors about what it would take to get them to to carry on investing um, in the Chinese mm-hmm. economy, because obviously they've been pulling a lot of money out. What would you say to them? Yeah, so so I think you describe it as a bit of an unusual meeting. I think the, the unusual is just the, the scale. Uh, they are doing it at a much bigger scale now, but... 
they have been actually doing many of these uh, smaller scale meetings uh, consistently. Like I mentioned that uh, you know, the, the large U.S. mutual fund visit uh, in May and April, and also previously Mr. Fang, uh, when he was, um, I think, uh, a key executive uh, at the local uh, security firms, he was visiting a lot of those uh, uh, foreign uh, counterparts. So it's, it's just unusual that they are doing it at a bigger scale now, but these things have been actually going on for a long time. And I do think that uh, Mr. Fang is a very good uh, global connector in really uh, uh, helping foreign investors get better and deeper understanding of uh, investing in China. Alex, if you were at this meeting on Friday in, in Beijing, where they want to hear what it's going to take to get foreign investors to, to start investing in the markets again and have more confidence in the markets and also hear what their issues are, what would you tell them? I think the, the key part is to unleash the power of the private enterprises. So this is what they are trying to do right now. Uh, but I think uh, the, the the market is still skeptical about whether China would allow those private enterprises to get so much control over the big data. So I think um, the, the key part is to uh, get back uh, the conf- investor confidence in the private enterprises in, 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 in big techs because um, uh, uh, we need to see uh, the, the, the strength in Alibaba and uh, Tencent back uh, in order to lead the market higher. Actually, China mm-hmm. lacks mega techs are just like um, what we have seen in the U.S. to support the whole market first. So I think uh, the market actually is quite separate because if you look at the car business, actually they are going towards the uh, the, the, the public sector, uh, the telecom companies instead of Alibaba. So I think uh, what foreign news are like is to uh, get back the power of the private sector. Mm. Now, now, you've said several times on this program over the last three or four weeks that you want to see an improvement in the government's approach to the private sector to, to persuade you that, you know, we can have a sustainable market rally. Now, last week, uh, we had Premier Li Chang meet with senior executives from firms like Alibaba, JD.com. Um, he called them trailblazers of the era. He, he wants to push them to support the real economy through innovation. And he said the authorities are going to make uh, regulation of these firms more transparent and predictable, uh, reduce compliant costs, and he wants them to look forward um, and better empower the real economy. Is this enough now from what you've seen uh, to, to persuade you that maybe it is time to go back into the markets and we can have a sustainable rebound, or do you need to see more? I think uh, we need to see more, but it is already good enough uh, for, for us to believe that a bottom public has been hit. So uh, although we may not have too much upward momentum, but uh, and uh, but I don't think we would see uh, 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 further weakness from 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 here. So I think uh, we are likely to be trapped right now, and uh, people would like to see what the government uh, would do towards the private sector. But in the meantime, I think uh, probably the sentiment has improved uh, quite a lot uh, because of the, uh, these gestures uh, last week. Mm. Chris, I mean, these are quite significant, aren't they? Because it's really coming from the top. President Xi Jinping seems to be mm-hmm. saying at last this regulatory crackdown um, is over. He wants foreign uh, investment and trade. And then we had uh, Premier Li meeting with these tech firms. Are you taking that now as a as a positive sign? Is this going to be um, enough to sort of boost the markets in the short to medium term? 
Yes, I do, Peter. And just to answer your question directly um, that, that you asked earlier, what foreign investors like to hear, right, is really the, uh, the further opening up of domestic markets in banking and other sectors that have historically been quite restricted uh, to foreign uh, players and foreign investors. So a lot of that uh, sort of like relaxation domestically would be helpful. And then also, again, I think uh, foreign investors always have been thinking about this whole internationalization of roaming B, um, you know, topic, right? So this is, a, again, you know, a long game and it's something that uh, I believe uh, the, the PBOC and also all the regulators in China are thinking about. But I think the, uh, the, the recent uh, rebound in the tech sector is a, a good start. And then uh, with, with that, I think uh, we will expect to see more uh, positive development in other sectors. Mm, okay. Um, Alex, then, so, so in terms of the markets, I mean, we have seen this big rebound now, haven't we, in, uh, in tech stocks uh, in Hong Kong over the last uh, week or so. Mm. I think it's the best, uh, best rebound now um, since, uh, since December. You, know, you say that a floor has been put um, under the markets. How much upside do you think we've got uh, from here, if any? Actually, right now, too, not too much. I think uh, this uh, this move actually is a, uh, is a accelerated by the short covering part as well. So mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, that part actually uh, is um, more or less done. And probably this week uh, we would have some weakness in the U.S. market, which would uh, drag the sentiment uh, back a little bit. So I think uh, uh, we are likely to see consolidation here. And then we will need to see uh, whether the market uh, would uh, be led up by the tax again. I think the key part is still in the tax. If you want to buy Hong Kong, I think I use just buy the back tax because I, I think uh, that is the key part. Because if sentiment change, I think uh, that would be the, led by the changes in the uh, perception towards the private sector. So uh, in the private sector, I think the back tax uh, would be the place to go. So uh, there's not much uh, uh, other parts uh, to select uh, from Hong Kong. So I think... Uh, uh, we're very likely we would see consolidation here. Probably we would be, uh, we have already seen a short-term peak as well. So we are likely to correct uh, back towards 19,000, I think. And then we probably would be stuck uh, within a, a range for a while uh, before the market decide whether uh, they would uh, they would they would trust the the, 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 the change in attitude towards the perfect sector by the Beijing authorities. Chris, what are your thoughts on the uh, on the Hong well, Kong markets now? We've had a, a pretty dreadful um, sort of couple of months, haven't we? But do you think the worst is over? Building on that the tech theme that we've been talking about here, so you know, not just the uh, the Asian tax and the Chinese tax have shown uh, good uh, performances. I mean, the so-called Magic Seven uh, tech companies in the U.S. have been doing really well. These are the companies that are basically crossing the trillion-dollar market capitalization. I call them the uh, the, the F-A-A-M-N-N-G, right, stocks, which is the Facebook, Amazon, uh, Apple, and Microsoft, Netflix, and NVIDIA and Google. So NVIDIA is the newest kid on the block with, you know, a very uh, strong performance. And these guys are also having their... Um, domestic uh, Chinese uh, maybe similar or equivalent stocks, and they will still be, I think, uh, powering through the uh, the uh, the recovery. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, the longer term, as I always say, the longer term game game is always to have uh, the uh, the sort of like Magic Seven on the east side and also Magic Seven uh, on the west side to really 
come together and work more collaboratively and constructively together. Even though they're competitors, but there's also cooperation uh, upside to uh, to gain if the U.S.-China relations improve. Okay, now let me ask you, this is an important day, obviously, for China's economy. We're going to get a whole dump of data from the National Bureau of Statistics later uh, this morning at around 10 o'clock. We're going to get second quarter GDP, we're going to get unemployment, and we're going to get economic activity data, which will include retail sales, industrial production, and fixed asset uh, investments. Economists are expecting uh, GDP in the second quarter to come in at around about 7.3%. Uh, and that compares with 4.5% annualised growth in the first quarter. Um, however, on a quarter-on-quarter basis, the economy is predicted to have risen just half a percent. Um, Alex, we've got to be a bit careful, haven't we, with this GDP data, because we're comparing it with a year ago uh, when some big cities like Shanghai were in lockdown. Yeah, of course. Uh, and also, uh, we, would have, we should have uh, enjoyed the benefits of uh, the opening up um, uh, went uh, in, in, in the last quarter as well. So I think uh, uh, the data actually would remain weak because if you look at the data set of data, actually they are quite weak. As you said, the trade data is, uh, are pretty weak. So I think uh, uh, the data would remain weak and probably people would think uh, policy would need to come out because uh, the data is just too weak. Uh, the China economy actually is, uh, is doing much worse than expected. And of course, this is going to lead to calls for more stimulus, isn't it? So, but which we've been waiting for now, or investors have been waiting for for the last uh, sort of three or four weeks. But Beijing seems to be reluctant to come up with any sort of big bazooka at the moment, doesn't it? Yeah, because I think uh, we have seen the the impact of last decade. If they use the tools in the the arsenal, I think uh, that would not help much. Uh, I think, uh, as I've said, uh, they, they they will need to unleash the power of the private sectors. So I think that is the key part for me. If you lower the weight further or put some much more spending in the infrastructure, actually, that will not help. Chris, what are you expecting from the data? Yeah, so, I mean, as you said, uh, NBS, uh, National Bureau of Statistics, is expecting a a 7.3% second quarter GDP growth. Uh, So this is really awesome figure, I have to say. And even though we know the COVID years were difficult, but the base is a very large base that Mm. we are talking about here. So I again remain uh, optimistic on the uh, on the outlook. I'll, I'll just share one uh, anecdotal sort of like uh, experience. I think uh, Cathay Pacific has been experiencing a very healthy traffic flow again, and they're probably expecting more than fifty uh, percent uh, of a traffic flow just before the COVID nineteen period. I just flew back from London to Hong Kong and on Cathay flight, and I have to tell you, this is like almost 100% uh, full. The flight was completely sort of like, uh, you know, kind of back to a pre-COVID-19 level. So uh, I, again, uh, feel uh, good about, you know, the second half of the year. And I would uh, uh, also be uh, wishing all our investors well. Mm, I mean, you, you're sounding very optimistic. It's nice to, to hear this. So I suppose in your view, um, the mainland doesn't need any more stimulus, does it? If things are chugging along quite nicely. So um, why, um, you know, why try and put the genie back in the bottle, if you like, or try and reinflate the bubble? Just let things go as they are. We don't need stimulus. Well, I mean, I think stimulus is always helpful. Just like here in Hong Kong yesterday, we got our consumption voucher and mm. uh, everyone is feeling good about it. So we are not going to say no to anything that would be helpful. Mm. 
Final word then to, to you, uh, Alex. I mean, here, here in Hong Kong, um, Chris is saying, you know, we're seeing a rebound in, in inbound arrivals. Cathay Pacific reporting it's back to about 50% now pre-pandemic levels. We've got uh, two, another $2,000 of consumption vouchers we all got uh, uh, yesterday. How are things looking from Hong Kong's point of view? Uh, I think uh, things in Hong Kong is quite slow. Uh, I think tourist arrival actually are good, and and you can see how the places are in in the malls. But uh, if you look at the, the the if you go into those restaurants in the nights, I think uh, this is a much um, worse than expected. Actually, for last week, I actually encountered uh, very very quiet uh, 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 restaurants uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> a few times in 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 night in, in Hong Kong. I think the general spending. Towards the higher, in, in the higher end, actually, is is uh, is quite weak right now. So uh, probably we have uh, some polarized impact. Uh, probably people are going towards a few uh, favorite sports only. Oh, uh, so anyway, I think uh, uh, in Hong Kong, uh, sentiment is much weaker because we had a very slow equity market. Uh, people in the finance industry actually are, are feeling quite bad because there's no basically no. Uh, big IPOs trading is uh, extremely slow, and and I think uh, this uh, probably has not changed much, and it takes time to 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 get the sentiment back. So very likely we are led by led by the weakness in the finance sector and also the public sector. So I think the spending overall may not be that that good. Okay, well, thank you both very much. Have a great week and stay safe in the typhoon this morning. Typhoon signal number eight is in force here in Hong Kong. That was Alex Wong, director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management, and Christopher Lee, who is senior partner at Farron, Augustine and Alexander Investments. I'm joined now by Brock Silvers, who is chief investment officer at Kion Capital. Morning, Brock. Good morning. Uh, let me get your thoughts, first of all, on this latest data that came out on the over the weekend on the state uh, of the property market. China's new home prices fell in June for the first time uh, this year. New home prices in 70 cities fell 0.1% uh, last month from May. Prices uh, were unchanged uh, from a year earlier. And in the secondary market, prices were down 0.4%. Um, doesn't seem to be much sign of any recovery, really, in the property market, does there? No, look, there isn't. We, we've all got to understand the fundamental basis of China's real estate model has changed from pre-COVID times to now. And the days of kind of unconstrained credit to developers buying at inflated auctions and selling to manic retail speculators, that's all gone. And at this point, developers are generally insolvent. Now, the government seems to be focused on a different set of issues. You know, a series of five or ten basis point rate cuts just isn't the answer. It's not a liquidity issue. Mm -hmm. Um, Toying with mortgages or bans on second home purchases, again, that's not going to resolve the the sector's problems. The entire sector needs to be rethought, reorganized, and recapitalized. And we don't seem to be ready to acknowledge that yet. So if, if this funding model is basically broken, or more than broken, it's bust, isn't it? This old funding model for the, yeah. for the Chinese developers. They're going to get to the point soon where they'll have nothing left to sell, um, no revenues. What is going to replace that old funding model? Because it seems unless the government does come up with something to replace it, there's no chance of the, uh, of the property sector uh, rebounding. You would think that the government is busy trying to craft an answer to that question. Um, 
And it becomes a tricky one because you also have loads and loads of people who have already um, who have already invested in uncompleted apartments, and that becomes a, a tricky social issue as well. But but the problem has to be dealt with, and at some point we are going to get a reorganization of the real estate sector. And from my perspective, the writing's on the wall, so the, the sooner the better. Mm. Have, have Chinese people, have they lost confidence altogether in the housing market now? Because this was always seen as a safe asset, wasn't it? You put your money in housing and you were guaranteed it was going to go up. Has, has Chinese people's perceptions of the property market and the safety and security of the value of their home changed? They, they certainly have. And they are also, they look at this system and they're no longer willing to play the game. And that's why you don't see a tremendous rebound in the demand for new flats by retail investors. And again, it, it's not an issue that somehow rates are a bit too high, or if I could just get the okay on that second mortgage, I, I'd be game. Mm-hmm. There, that, that's just not going to happen. Mm. Well, we got a, a lot of data coming out today uh, from China. We're going to get second quarter GDP. We're going to get important unemployment data. And we're going to get a whole load of economic activity data, retail sales, industrial production, and fixed asset investment. It looks like, Brock, on the, on the surface, this second quarter GDP number is going to sound quite good. So people are expecting 7.3% growth. But then if you compare with the first quarter, looks like we're only going to get about half a percent growth. And of course, we're comparing this with a year ago um, when when China was in lockdown. Yeah, that's right. Look, buckle up. We are expecting a blizzard of information. Now, almost everyone expects sort of relatively poor June results. And I think there's little question the recovery has disappointed and now probably fizzled. Um, You know, a, a couple of key things. Exports are cratering in a way China hasn't experienced in generations. Um, Producer prices in June, we know, plummeted at the fastest rate in almost a decade. Now, despite that, brace yourself also for an onslaught of kind of sycophantic insistence that China's in great shape. And a lot of people are going to tout a 7% plus claim. Um, I'm very skeptical. I I think we're basically flat, um, which intuitively seems more realistic. Ask yourself this. If we were honestly growing at 7.3%, there'd be no need for stimulus. No one would care about stimulus. Mm. We'd be self-stimulating. In reality, exports, retail demand, industrial production, all quite weak, while the government is deciding how hard to chase away foreign investment. None of this sounds like a very good combination, and I think the reaction to the blizzard of data today will probably not be positive in the end. I mean, the authorities seem to be going all out to try and talk the economy up, don't they? We had the PBOC um, last week saying they're going to take sort of forceful um, and, and targeted, uh, they're going to implement targeted and forceful uh, monetary policy. But are we hearing anything new from what's just been said um, the last few weeks? Or is this just a regurgitation of the same thing, just using different words? Look, this is a a pet peeve of mine. I think that the PBOC and and other authorities are intentionally trying to manipulate market sentiment because there's not yet a plan or at least one that can be announced or enacted. So we, you know, we get authorities crowing about how we're going to be super duper supportive. This time I really, really mean it. (laughs) <laughs> but this sort of misdirection does have an impact on markets. We, we've seen that. It won't be a long-lasting impact, but it does have an impact. Now, 
what we can say right now is that it's not about rate cuts. That's not going to solve the problem. You know, a cut in, in triple R speaks to increased liquidity when liquidity is already ample. What it doesn't speak to is the 35% of GDP that was lost when the real estate sector collapsed or the trillions of dollars that were lost to regulatory clampdown. So what we get is in the absence of a declared policy, we see Liu Guachang or Li Chang reassuring us publicly, which honestly does nothing to make me want to write a check. So you, you don't think, because people got quite excited last week when Lee Chung met with, you know, the, the senior executives of Alibaba, JD.com, ByteDance. He called them, these companies, the trailblazers um, of the era, although he didn't say that we've just wiped off, um, you know, over a trillion dollars of value in some of these companies. But nevertheless, he's, he, do you think that maybe they realize that they've gone too far and, you know, some of the problems of the economy are, are self-inflicted and they've got to try and uh, rectify that? Well, I do think that there's a recognition that we've gone too far, but the question is, have we gone too far or have we gone too far for the moment? Um, and that and that we just can't tell right now. Um, so, you know, uh, for the record, I just don't understand this kind of celebratory reaction to what we perceive as the end of the regulatory clampdown. Um, it was a surprise long-term process that we couldn't question or appeal, but it cost investors trillions of dollars. And mm -hmm. some of those losses seem terribly inappropriate and unfair. Um, so now it, it, some, class, some class of investors, some subset of investors thinks we should just ignore that precedent and, you know, accept kind of a silent wink and a nod from bureaucrats to indicate there's been a secret resolution to an undefined problem. Well, I don't know. Once the economy has stabilized, are regulators going to return to their former priorities? I don't know. You don't know. No one knows. Mm -hmm. If the plan is for me to time my entry now and then time the exit before the regulators reawaken, that seems like a like a very poor plan. So it sounds like you're not impressed with this market rally that we saw last week, particularly in the tech index. It was up. Uh, 5.7% last week. That's the most uh, since since January. It added almost $200 billion to the value of Hong Kong's stock market. But it, from what you're saying, you, you think investors are being a bit delusional here. I, I bet against that rally because right now I, I see no reason to think the water's safe. We have no idea if those same sharks are swimming in the same area. Now, for fast-moving flow traders, for experts who are used to getting in quickly in response to local news, China tech may be very ripe right now. Valuations from that perspective may look good. But for most investors, particularly value guys, buy and hold guys, the allocation should probably remain zero. You know, what discount rate can I use to account for a potential government wipeout that could come at any time? So I, I also think we have to beware of recommendations from those whose bonuses are dependent upon our acquiescence. Mm. So, so what would it take to get you back into the market? You say the risk allocation to China should be zero. What would make you um, start to rethink that stance? You know, China has to address a couple of things. They have to give reassurance on fundamental investability. Is there systemic stability in such a way that Western investors can, can accept the, the premise of China? And in addition to investability, We've got to discuss growth. 
you know, the, the Chinese model, again, just dropped kind of a third of their GDP growth uh, when the real estate sector imploded. And I don't see that coming back. Exports are, are down rapidly in a global geopolitical environment that doesn't seem favorable for increased Chinese exports right now. The tech war rages, and we all kind of expect that to get worse before it gets better. So the twin issues are convince me that it's investable and then show me where the growth is going to, where the replacement growth is going to come from. And right now we're, we're not even discussing those issues. We're, we're busy getting sort of bland assurances of, um, you know, of support or this invitation to the global investor meeting, um, which is kind of a sales job. And, and let me say that my email must not be working because I, I didn't receive my invitation. <laughs> well, this is an odd meeting, isn't it? Well, I, maybe not odd. It's a rare meeting, isn't it? You don't normally see this where, um, you know, the officials Beijing is inviting foreign investors specifically to tell them why they don't want to invest at the moment and what it is um, that they've got to do. So presumably, by the very fact that they're doing this, they are concerned. Do you think there's much chance that we might get an answer uh, to, to your questions at this meeting on Friday? No. Look, I think if they had an answer, there would be a policy announcement rather than a meeting announcement. Mm -hmm. I think that the meeting has to occur is itself probably bad news. It says to me that the sales job continues as if a lunch with Chinese economic bigwigs is all I need to convince me to start investing again. Whereas I say we need policy clarity, particularly with investability and growth. And this meeting seems to signal the opposite. I don't think we're at the point where I can get the, the you know, the, the, the reassurances that I need. Mm, uh, so, but, so, but maybe that's why my invitation was lost in the mail. <laughs> it, it could be, but you know, maybe it's um, also uh, investors seem to be worried that despite all this talk, something else may come along. There may be a new sector that comes under regulatory uh, scrutiny for some reason, or just some new policy out of Beijing, which have a habit of coming up also almost without warning, don't they? Is that part of the problem? The uncertainty at the moment of what policy might happen next it, it absolutely is and look foreign investors by and large want to comply with chinese law and regulation the problem is we often don't know how to do that um and you don't want to be caught on the wrong side of that equation and have to explain to an ex-china investment committee why you've gone so terribly wrong this year Mm, I, I get it. I understand. Okay, well, hopefully your invitation will turn up, Brock, and I'd be interested to hear what you say Fingers to them, crossed. what they say to you. Thanks very much. It's always a pleasure talking to you. That's Brock Silvers, okay. who is uh, Chief Investment Officer at Kion Capital. Thank you very much for listening to Money Talk this morning. You can find more details about some of the topics I've been talking about today, along with information on other headlines and market moves on my daily newsletter. Take a look at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll be back with another show tomorrow. Joining me then will be Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Aldcroft, David Roche, president and global strategist at Independent Strategy, and our US economics correspondent, writer and broadcaster Barry Wood. See you tomorrow. Money Talk.